to all you Oklahomans who are interested in getting backstage with some really fascinating people. Welcome to Pepper's Podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Bob Burke, and I'm going to host today the first of what is going to be known as Pepper's Podcast. Now, Pepper is Pepper Devon an Oklahoma City attorney who I've known for six or seven years. And I think we ought to, Pepper, get to know about you today. Now, as I recall, you've only been in Oklahoma City less than a decade. So let's go back before that. Where did Pepper Devon was born and raised? I was born and raised in Enid, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, started off in Enid and went to undergrad at Oklahoma State, followed by law school at the University of Tulsa, spent a little bit of time studying abroad. When I got out of law school, I moved back to Enid and moved in with my parents, actually. I mean, I didn't have a thing. <laughs> Lived with my parents for about two years, worked at a law firm called Mitchell and DeClerc, and loved it. Mitchell DeClerc, was comprised of some of the smartest lawyers I've ever been around. And uh, I had a daughter. And when she was about two years old, I made the decision to come to Oklahoma City to give her some different opportunities than what Enid had to offer. Enid's a fabulous, fabulous city. Uh, but I thought that Oklahoma City would be a place that she would thrive in as she grew. And so moved here. Uh, in 2012, December of 2012, been here ever since, and absolutely love Oklahoma City. Now, what kind of law did you practice in Enid? So, when I started practicing, I fell into class actions and false claim act cases. Uh, it's not something that I had a passion for at the time. I was a new lawyer, the senior partners were working on class actions, and they brought me in as additional manpower. And I literally spent 12 years doing nothing but class action work, false claim act cases. And uh, I really enjoyed that area of law, but the law changed on class actions in about 2013. Uh, it made me very nervous, Bob. So when I say well, the law well, the changed- the Oklahoma legislature during that time limited uh, the ability of lawyers to file class actions. And, and not only that, uh, the law, just like almost every arena in life, has ebbs and flows. And so when I started practicing the class action uh, type litigation, it was more plaintiff friendly. And as things become more plaintiff friendly, uh, laws change, there is lobbying to change or modify some of the laws. And it really started favoring the defendants um, about seven, eight years ago. And that area of practice became very difficult. And having a little girl, I, I got nervous. And so um, I decided to start a law firm that does personal injury law. And I haven't looked back since. It's been fantastic. Now, why did you choose personal injury? You know, hey, you had been a lawyer for several years, but for example, you could have come to Oklahoma City and joined one of the big firms and 
be a corporate lawyer? Why personal injury? I, I love that question. And for all the viewers out here, this podcast is unscripted. We have not rehearsed a thing and I want it to be completely transparent. So you're gonna get brutal honesty. Okay. Uh, so uh, about 2010, I was involved in a personal injury lawsuit in Caddo County and the plaintiff's last name was Scott. It was a very, very difficult case. Um, the family destitute is an exaggeration. They were in poverty and the matriarch of the family was injured just horribly in an accident. Um, that case was personal to me and we had a offer from the defendants prior to going to trial of just nominal amount. In other words, it was a nuisance value case in their eyes. And I took that case, was just adamant that we had to do something right for this family. And we tried that case over several days and a jury came back. The jury awarded $20 million. Oh and I, um, other than the birth of my daughter, I have never had a feeling that I have accomplished something for people in need as much as I did at that instant. And my, my passion, my, my goal, uh, what I believe my purpose is, is helping people who are not in the position to help themselves. So, and, and, and it all began with you having empathy with that little lady who needed help needed someone she could have never fought uh, her way through court so that empathy began your passion is that right so i will concede that i am not the smartest lawyer i am not the most experienced lawyer but i can promise you that there is not a lawyer on the planet that cares more about their clients than I do. And Bob, that is not cliche. I love people. Okay. So you decided for a personal injury law firm, and that is uh, now seven years in the making? Seven years in the making. So um, our- you have, part, you have a partner. Yes, I have a partner, uh, Murray Parrish. He who, and who I- is my, Who is my friend for 40 years. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we go back a long way. Um, it's an interesting story, and sometimes in life there's lightning strikes, Bob. Um, when the law in class actions was changing, about the exact same time, the law on workers' compensation was changing in Oklahoma. Murray did workers' compensation law, and I have known him since I was in high school. Uh, his college roommate, was the guy that my sister was dating, later got married. And so uh, Christmas breaks, small world. Thanks, small yeah, it's such world. a small world. Christmas breaks, Thanksgiving breaks, since I was in high school, Murray would come with my sister's boyfriend to Enid, my hometown. Um, we would stay up late, we got to be good friends. 
we didn't know each other in college, but we're in the same fraternity house at Oklahoma State, so we have lots of the same friends. And uh, he, I will tell you, Murray is remarkably intelligent. I'm not. Um, but the, the chemistry between the two of us has proved to be successful in that uh, from a bird's eye view, my, my job at the law firm is clients. Murray's job at the law firm is to make sure the check's clear. I mean, at the end of the day, that, that's what we do. So, so um, in the several years of your partnership uh, uh, with Murray, um, give me some examples of people, because I saw the passion in your eyes a moment ago when you were talking about the little lady in the lawsuit in Caddo okay? What comes to mind if I say some examples of the people that you felt as, as closely about, that you identified with, that you felt like they needed a voice? I, I'm gonna modify my answer to not respond with specific examples. Okay. But to answer by saying, Every single person that calls our law firm, that asks for help, does it genuinely. We would not have a role unless the people that contacted us needed something. They needed help. And you, you can literally feel when you sign a new client up, a, an air of relief on their part that someone is taking over something that they don't have control of or they don't understand. I mean, the, the accidents, whether it's a small accident or a catastrophic accident, they change people's lives. They, they really interrupt, out of no fault of their own, uh, the day-to-day -day living. And the, the thing that draws me in, that brings me closer to the clients is not the accident, but their stories. Um, Bob, in my opinion, you can't represent someone efficiently and effectively unless you understand their stories. And everybody has a story. Uh, everybody has a very compelling story and part of a trial lawyer's obligation is to learn that story and convey it to defense lawyers, to judges, and ultimately to a jury um, in a way that they couldn't do by themselves. Wow. Without giving specific examples, though, uh, has your practice revolved around automobile accidents, uh, catastrophic accidents, or a mixture? It, it, it's been a mixture. And uh, just like anything else, at the beginning, we didn't know what we didn't know. And we made mistakes. Um, we have evolved to really be primarily an auto accident injury firm. Of course, we do workers' compensation. Uh, we still do mass torts. We still do some medical malpractice. But we believe that the, the value that we add as lawyers 
in the auto accident arena outweighs the value we add in most all other cases. Now, you say that people call and they all have a story. You don't take every case that someone calls about. So, so how do you screen those? Okay, so at the end of the day, our firm lives by, thrives on the motto, we do what's in the best interest of the client. And there are many, many people that call in that have a very solid claim. But based on experience, based on what we've been doing for seven years, almost exclusively, we know whether our involvement will increase the value of their claim by more than the fee that we take. And so when we charge, when we sign up a case, Bob, we have to be very confident that by signing that client up, we believe our involvement will increase the value of their claim by more than the fee that we charge or we're doing a disservice. Um, that in, other words, in other words, somebody calls you and says, hey, the insurance company has offered me $20,000 for my claim. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is that if you can't get them substantially more than that so that they would take home that 20 tax-free, then uh, your contingent fee contract makes it not economically feasible for that person to hire you. Our contingency fee contract, in some instances, will create an end result where the client would get less money than if they resolve the claim on their own. And that's embarrassing. So, so you look at it very closely so that you don't make that mistake very often. Um, and we'll, we have conversations with clients very frequently where we portray to them, listen, I don't know whether our involvement is going to be justified. So let us get what we call the raw data, the, uh, the basic facts of the case, medical expenses, insurance coverage. Um, so in those instances, we will tell the client, we can't give you good advice because we don't know yet. So let us do some preliminary work. We'll meet back up in 30 days and we'll tell you whether it makes sense to keep us going or not. And the line that I know, use- Because a, a lot of people will call and say, that lady ran the stop sign. Oh, when you get yeah. the police report, turns out she ran the stop sign. <laughs> that uh, happens. Those things happen, for sure. And um, what we do is if we sign a client up and 30, 60 days into it, we see that our involvement isn't justified. Uh, we shake hands. They don't owe us a dime. And we'll buy them lunch sometime in the future if we ever run into each other again. But I am very protective, very protective of our law firm having the reputation that if we are involved, we believe our presence is justified and we'll do good work for you. Now, I was intrigued by what you said earlier, that you made the move from Enid to Oklahoma City, primarily to give more opportunities for your daughter. Yes. What, what drew you to Oklahoma City? 
Now you're an Oklahoman. Oklahoma City, of course, is uh, the largest city in Oklahoma. But what drew you specifically? You could have gone elsewhere. I, I could have gone. I could have gone anywhere on the planet. Um, the the primary motivation for Oklahoma City was the fact that Murray Parrish, who formed a partnership with me, was already here and established, and the lawyers that I had worked with um, during my time at Mitchell and McClure, both on the plaintiff side and the defense side. And when I say, this is important, Bob, uh, when I say work with, lawyers, even though I'm a plaintiff's lawyer, there, there's lawyers that represent plaintiffs and lawyers that represent defendants. Um, the plaintiff lawyers and the defense lawyers, big picture, we work together. I mean, uh, they have a job to represent their clients and, and they're good at it, there's no doubt. Uh, plaintiff's lawyers do the same thing, but at the end of the day, we work together. So when I said earlier, plaintiff and defense lawyers that I've worked with, that's what that means. Uh, so, I, so you, by moving to Oklahoma City, you already knew a lot of the traditional defense lawyers. Correct, yes, uh, yes. That, that you would be dealing with because uh, there tend to be what? perhaps 25, 30, 40 lawyers in Oklahoma who represent defendants, mostly insurance companies. That's exactly right. You're running uh, the same people all the time. It is, uh, it is a small world. So the, the, the comfort level for me going to Oklahoma City for Meenid was much higher than Tulsa, just because geographically, uh, the firm that I was with at Enid tended to work more with Oklahoma City lawyers. And having a reputation and a relationship uh, prior to entering into a market, uh, in my opinion, was very important. What problems did you encounter? Here you're establishing a partnership with a guy you've known forever, but hey, you're hitting the ground running with a personal injury law firm, uh, what hurdles did you have to overcome? My goodness. Um, not only what hurdles did we have to overcome, what hurdles do we have in front of us right now? I mean, it is it is fascinating. Um, you know, seven, eight years ago, there was three of us, Bob. It was me, Murray, and one staff member. Today, there's about 50 of us. And... <laughs> Um, it's, a, it's a remarkably good set of team members. The lawyers that we have are phenomenal. The, the support staff, the team members, everybody is phenomenal. But the hurdles that we saw from the beginning circle back to, we didn't know what we didn't know. And we've made a million mistakes. And um, putting together a team is difficult. It is, it is unbelievably difficult. And uh, one thing that, that we've done right is we communicate uh, twice a month with about 20 or 25 different law firms just like ours. And we talk about numbers. We talk about cases coming in. Uh, we talk about marketing, what works, what doesn't work. We talk about organizational structure, conduct, performance. Uh, so we have a brain trust of very, very smart lawyers, uh, very smart CFOs, 
very smart COOs, and it's a collaboration. And I think in today's environment, it's a necessity because if if anybody that has their own law firm doesn't believe that defense lawyers, that insurance companies don't communicate and coordinate and collaborate, they're wrong. I mean, this is this is not a um, hundred years ago when it's lawyer versus lawyer. It's really industry versus industry. Yeah. Well, and you know, both formally and informally, defense lawyers have formal organizations, and they have, you know, over coffee or over dinner, they trade stories. They trade stories like, hey, wham, and Pepper really popped us on that one. You know, they trade those stories, you know. That, and, and your reputation depends upon that trading of stories, doesn't it? It, it does. It, it absolutely, people talk. And a law firm has a reputation. And we legitimately will not allow anyone in our staff to misrepresent facts to um, to mislead, we believe that once we are involved in a case, we handle it the right way, knowing that in the future, defense lawyers, insurance adjusters, judges, if we say something, they can count on it. And that is a reputation that we're very protective of. Especially with judges. Well, defense counsel also, but hey, uh, you you lie to a judge, the judge will remember that for the remainder of your career. And the judge will tell the other judges, and it is like a wildfire. And unfortunately, you know, you do everything right for years and years and years, but you do something wrong, that outweighs all the right that you've done. So you have to be very careful. But you know, being a leader uh, as a plaintiff lawyer, and that's what you are in the community. Um, if you say do something wrong, like you simply argue the wrong point of the law, that's one thing. A judge is going to overlook that. Hey, you know, everybody can interpret the same statute four different ways. Okay. But when you, when you lack integrity in dealing with the court or defense counsel or insurance adjusters, if you lack integrity, you can't ever be successful, can you? No, no. Um, in my opinion, if you lack integrity, not only are you harming yourself, you're harming your clients, you're harming the people you work with, and I think lack of integrity is impermissible under any circumstance. Now, um, in building a staff, how do you teach them how passionately you feel about integrity. Okay, so our firm is a very tight-knit family. We meet firm-wide every Monday morning, and we have frequent communication, not only from lawyer to lawyer, but lawyer to team member, and that communication always has the same theme. And that's the best interest of the client. That's what we're here for. And what I notice is when the leaders of the firm really are passionate and strive to portray what we believe in, 
the people that work at that firm get in line and conduct themselves the exact same way. Um, of course, we've had hiccups. Those get addressed immediately, we try to resolve them. But in my opinion, if you have a culture, and culture's like the current term of art or the way an office behaves. If you have a strong culture, that culture will thrive. And it goes in the right direction when you have the leaders of the firm really making it objective of what's important to them. Okay, now you've told me how that you try to communicate the, the uh, absolute necessity for integrity. You earlier said you became a personal injury lawyer because of that Caddo County case and yes. how passionate you became trying to help that family. Yes. How do you communicate to a new team member or to your present staff how passionate, that passion that drives you, how do you communicate that? You don't. So passion for a client, even passion for your job. I don't think that's taught, Bob. I think our I think our responsibility as the executive team when bringing people into our community of staff is to try to bring in the people we believe will uphold the values of the firm. Passion is one of them. And Bob, you will recognize within the first 30 days whether somebody has it or doesn't. Uh, it becomes obvious. Yeah. And if they don't have the passion, if they don't have the drive, they're gone. Um, the, the, the whole, the firm as a whole is more important than any one single individual. And you know, uh, 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 injured people, are a needy people, okay? They're sitting, sitting at home, they don't have money coming in, and that creates incredible stress. They wanna to talk to somebody at their lawyer's office. Yes. So I would assume that you say like in the first 30 days, if you hear someone uh, griping about that, hey, so-and-so's called three times this month, that is an indication to you that there is no empathy there, right? Well, that, that I'm going to dodge that just a little bit by saying the empathy may be there, um, but the way I would respond is if the client's called three times and hasn't talked to a team member or the lawyer assigned to their case, there's a problem. My, my first reaction when I heard you say a, a client's called three times, uh, my response is we should have called them four. Um, we represent, I mean, we work for our clients and client contact is a priority because you're right. These people uh, in many instances are home. Uh, they're not able to work. They still have kids. They still have financial obligations. So yes, they're gonna have questions. They're gonna reach out. Um, we can't solve everything, but we are here to help them, not only for the claim, but uh, emotionally. I mean, we we cannot provide the service that I want this firm to be known to provide without empathy. And I would be very disappointed if I hear that somebody's called the office three times and has not talked to anybody. That would yeah. be something to be addressed immediately. You've talked a lot about passion. 
and how that you can, I guess, in interviewing someone, interviewing a lawyer, you're going to find out very quickly if they care about the client or do they just want a job, right? Yeah. Our, our firm is not designed to provide a job. Our firm is designed to provide an environment for people to excel. And the only way you can excel in that environment is through passion. Mm. Now, what do you hope to achieve through doing Pepper's podcast? Okay, so when at the, at the core, the source code is my love for people. I think people are fascinating. I think people have amazing stories. And over the past seven or eight years that I've been here, I have met some of the most intriguing and creative artistic people. And what my end goal of this podcast is to allow the, the general public, everybody listening, access for 45 minutes or an hour to some people in Oklahoma that I think have incredible stories to share. And the, the thought behind it is backstage pass. I'm going to bring on guests twice a month for the next year. And I hope that the hour that I have with these people will create more entertainment, knowledge, and literally intrigue from people watching than any other source available. Now, so, so what you're talking about is, is not talking about the law, no. but talking about intriguing people in Oklahoma City, leaders or maybe non-leaders who have a great story, and they probably, nobody knows them. Some uh, there, there's some going to be them. people, there, yes, there's going to be people that uh, are appearing this year on my podcast that everybody will have heard of. Sure. But it's going to be a podcast that's unscripted. The people that are volunteering their time to appear with me um, are going to be asked hard questions, easy questions, some questions off the wall. There's going to be people that are fairly unknown, but that have but, but have a story that I think people's jaws will drop about. And so, so it's a very candid conversation. It is. With, it is with both the well-known people and the unknown people. That I don't think this podcast would be genuine unless I made it in a format that wasn't predictable or scripted. And I will ask hard questions. I assume some people will cut off their camera, whatever. But <laughs> I, I honestly. Um, my intent is to bring the real person out in uh, in leaders and artists, and hopefully they share um, something that people will think is just absolutely intriguing. Wow, Pepper. Well, I'm excited, and I want to be on the mailing list. Ever how you do that of when the next podcast is going to be? Absolutely. I think that the people of Oklahoma are going to love that too. And, and Bob, you know, um, I, I want to thank you for appearing with me. This takes time out of your day. 
but what what is just right going through my mind right now, Bob? You are in the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. You're an author that's published more historical nonfiction books than anybody in history. I'm 112 years old now, Pepper. <laughs> and that's rounding down. <laughs> and then um, here with me, uh, so this is the first podcast. The uh, One of the reasons that it was me and Bob is so we can troubleshoot tech, we can do lighting, we can do sound. Uh, but I have two people here with me right now. Uh, come over. So uh, just in the theory of the podcast, uh, the theme of the podcast, this is Erica and Eric, and uh, they are my tech support here, and fascinating, Eric uh, had a career as an interrogator for the United States Special Forces, Erica uh, was a cheerleader for a cricket team in Mumbai and in Italy, and so, uh, you know, just just the five of us here... Um, there's a lot to learn and lots of lessons, and I think this is going to be a remarkably fun experience for everybody. Well, and the reason I wanted to participate and volunteer this first time is you know how much I love Oklahoma history. Yes. And I have a theory that Oklahoma's bold and exciting history, which I think is the most exciting history of any of the 50 states, is not about places and events. It's not about the Trail of Tears, or it's not about the land runs, which are unique in world history. But our incredible story is about our people. And what I saw in your podcast is you're going to put the people front and center with a candid conversation with them. And that's exciting. That's I, exciting. I, I am very excited, Bob. And yes, I am going to bring on people that I think will show what Oklahoma has to offer. Hey, and it's a lot. Pepper, good luck, and we all wait uh, to hear what you have to say and what your people have to say this year. All right. Thanks, Bob. I really appreciate your time, and uh, lunch is on me next time. Okay. <laughs>